From the studios of WHUPLP in Hillsboro, North Carolina, this is Dirty White Belt Radio. Innovative, often duplicated When enough people get on the trend I elevate it, make it way harder For them to follow what I take It hard to swallow like a lozenger lodged In your trachea Goodness gracious, bruh, I can never make this up So just take your stuff Rake it up and take the bus Never fake the funk, you painted skunks You played enough, I'm lifting bars to outer space So the weight is up Fight, Welcome to another episode of Dirty White Belt Radio, everyone. It is a packed show because there is so much going on. There's so much going on in the world of competitive jiu-jitsu, in the world of MMA, in the world of sport kickboxing, which is something I know that a lot of y'all follow as well. And so we're going to get right into it. I want to mention that we have a couple of interviews, including our featured interview with Daniel Sandlin, a new black belt. We have another series of interviews with Josh Murdoch, a black belt, who got his start training, actually, with Dan Sandlin at uh, Jerry Moreno's place in New Bern. So it's cool that we have those two guys on the same show. Both of them really dedicated martial artists, both of them now having the black belt together. We're going to talk to Josh about his first experience competing as a black belt at the IBJJF tournament. And we were fortunate enough to get a chance to talk to Josh both before his competition when he rode up on the Megabus to compete. And if you want to talk about dedication, riding the Megabus 15 hours to compete in a jiu-jitsu tournament is a pretty good exemplar of dedication. But we're also going to have Josh call into the show live to give us his perspective after the event as well. So you'll get sort of how Josh was feeling before the event, which I think you'll really enjoy because it's a very candid interview about the emotions he goes through before competition. And we'll also get to talk to him in the aftermath as well. Our featured interview, though, with Daniel Sandlin is something that I'm very excited for. It just sort of worked out that Dan got his black belt this week, the same week that his former training partner, Josh, ended up uh, competing and doing very well at the New York Open. And he's a a guy that's extremely dedicated to all forms of the martial arts. So we're going to talk to Dan about how the Marine Corps martial arts program, since he's been in the Marine Corps since 2004, how the Marine Corps martial arts program compares to training jiu-jitsu. We're going to talk to him about what receiving the black belt means to him, about the difference between sports jiu-jitsu and self-defense and whether a sport jiu-jitsu practitioner is generally adept at self-defense and the epic story behind his promotion ceremony including some uh, uh some some talk about the first emotions he felt upon receiving the belt the results of which may surprise you we're going to talk to him a lot more during our featured interview so we're excited for that before we get to any of that i have to let you know how to get a hold of us and then we're going to get to the news segment you can always email the show at cagesidewhup at gmail.com. We're on Twitter and Instagram, very active on Instagram at Dirty White Belt. Our Twitter is DWB Radio. You can always get at the show on our Facebook page as well. It's facebook.com slash cagesideradio. We're going to post a lot of the uh, the content from today's show, including pictures of the people that did well at the, end, at the New York Open, maybe some videos if we can get them. So always engage with us there. So let's begin by talking not about jiu-jitsu, but about kickboxing, because I want to shout out a couple of friends of the show, uh, one of whom has been on the show several times and one of whom used to used to co-host the show, uh, for a successful performance yesterday. So Trevor Hayes uh, runs the Muay Thai program at uh, Forged Fitness in Cary, and Trevor, as you know, is a, is a mainstay of the local scene here in North Carolina and a very successful coach, and uh, led a troop of four guys into the kickboxing fights last night at uh, the Kerscott Building and. um in, in Raleigh, North Carolina at the Lightning Strikes kickboxing event. And Trevor's guys did very well. And I want to especially highlight that Trey Sturgeon uh, made his debut 
successfully. I know Trevor's really proud of him, and we're really proud of Trevor for the stuff he's achieved at the kickboxing program. The other two guys that I want to talk about, and we will post these videos to our Facebook page so you can check them out if you're interested in kickboxing. Kevin Squatch Satterfield from Elevate MMA. Uh, so Kevin engaged, you know, is, is an all-around martial artist. You know, he's, he fights MMA in addition to competing in jiu-jitsu tournaments. This was the first time I'd seen him do a pure kickboxing match, and it was just really an excellent performance. He ends up winning by TKO stoppage in the second round and a, a certainly legit TKO stoppage. Kevin was outstriking his opponent on his feet and then ends up with a devastating knee to the breadbasket that just crumpled his opponent into the second round, and so Kevin wins by finish. So congratulations to Kevin Squatch Satterfield on that. In the main event, friend of the show and multiple-time guest Dewan Dirty South Owens really put on a show. And if you've listened to Dewan's episodes, you know that that's what Dewan strives to do. He sees himself as an artist, martial or otherwise, and believes in the entertainment value of art. And so he's not just trying to win, he's trying to put on a show for the fans. And wow, did that happen in last night's main event at Lightning Strikes. So I, I was talking to Betsy before the show. And I don't even know if Dewan got touched. I don't. I don't think his opponent was able to land one significant strike on Dewan. Whereas, Dewan just hit him with flurries of kicks, of punches, just really sweet combinations, and wins by TKO stoppage in the first round after knocking his opponent down for the third time. And let me tell you, you know, Dewan is a, is a is a practice striker, and he really looked sharp. And so we have video from that that we're going to upload to the Facebook page. So congratulations to Dewan Dirty South Owens. Congrats to Kevin Squatch Satterfield. To everyone at Elevate MMA, trains with those guys trains hard for those fights and congratulations to trevor hayes and his program at uh, muay thai at forge fitness of Kerry. a really good event can't wait to see more um kickboxing in the triangle so the other thing that happened this weekend that's very significant uh, was the new york ibjjf new york open and the gi was yesterday and no gi is today so we're going to be able to give you some of the gi results uh, North Carolina and our extended North Carolina family took a small but fierce team up there and the results were really I mean, I, I was blown away by 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 the results. I'm going to go down in order, starting with um with with the purple belts, and like especially want to congratulate Lourdes Cantu, who is our our co-host of the show, does a lot of the terrific interviews for us. And Lourdes, it was her birthday this weekend, and she chose to spend that birthday, um, riding up on the mega bus to compete in the Masters Purple Belt Division. And Lourdes ends up with a great day of jujitsu and a silver medal in her weight class for her efforts. So we'll post pictures of Lourdes uh, on the podium to the Facebook page. But I just want to uh, say a special congratulations to Lourdes. Um, John Bagels Telford, a uh, friend of the show, sometime guest, ha- got a bronze medal at the adult brown belt level. Um, and Bagels is a, a regular competitor. He also uh, fought in the absolute, which he always does, despite the fact that he competes at feather mostly and j- sometimes even at light feather, and ended up uh, fighting uh, this guy, Frosty, who is just huge uh, and ends up losing in absolute by ref's decision, but just put on a terrific performance against him. And I always love, you know, being a little guy myself, I always love seeing the little guys do the absolute. So congratulations to Bagels. Nora from Upstream BJJ, uh, Nora Levy Forsett, got bronze at the adult blue belt level. And so I know Nora's had a lot of success recently, um, and I'm, I couldn't be happier for her. And finally, I want to mention two different two different guys. Like, I'm going to give you a little bit of a spoiler alert. So Josh Murdoch, who you'll hear from in a second, ends up getting a bronze medal at, at, in his first IBJJF competition at Black Belt. Ends up winning his first match by Omoplata submission. You know, if you've rolled with Josh, you know that the Omoplata is something he's very adept at. We'll talk to him about that and walk him through that match. Um, and you'll get to hear Josh's thoughts both before and after. And we'll get to that in just a second. But before we get to Josh's preview interview, I want to talk about DeAndre Corbet. 
So the Corbett brothers, we've talked about them a lot on the show. They've been on the show a couple times. And these guys are the future of jiu-jitsu. And DeAndre won gold in his adult brown belt. Uh, division and it says a lot that when I posted that result, uh, Chrissy Lindsay, the owner of U- one of the owners of U.S. Grappling, posted you know big surprise, and nobody's really surprised when DeAndre wins gold. But I'm going to tell you something that I think is surprising, or at the very least, very impressive. So DeAndre has been a brown belt just a little over a year now, and in his first year at brown belt, he's won gold medals at every single IBJJF Open except the World Championship that he's competed in in his first year at brown belt. That means he's won two gold medals at Boston, a gold at New York, a gold at Miami, a gold at Atlanta, a gold at Charlotte. Chicago is coming up, and he won gold there at purple belt. And so, I mean... you know, it, those of us that compete or have competed at the IBJJF tournaments know how competitive the field is. And the adult brown belt division is stacked. There are no easy matches. And so for DeAndre to put together a year like that in his first year at brown belt is outstanding. And it just couldn't happen to a better kid. So congratulations to DeAndre. And uh, we can't wait to see what he and Gavin do in the future. Hey, Jeff Shaw. Hey, Betsy O'Donovan. I've been thinking about submission-only tournaments. Can I ask you a question? Absolutely. So it seems to me that submission-only is a pretty cool mix of self-defense and sport jiu-jitsu, where you get to be in a relatively safe environment, but really put your skills to pretty direct test. Is that your read? I think that's accurate. All rule sets have value, and you get different things out of different tournament rule sets, whether they be points, whether they should be submission-only, whether they be modified submission-only. But there are two things about true submission-only that make it really interesting. First, it's a true outcome. You might lose in a points tournament because either you didn't understand the rules or the other person played to the rules better or the rule set was more optimized to their game. But if you step on the mat with another person and the only way it ends is one of you taps, there are no time limits or no excuses. And so that's the true submission-only only format that U.S. grappling runs. The other thing about submission only is there is an incredibly empowering thing about surviving an encounter with another human being who is trying to choke you or bend your limbs the wrong way. And that's a real proxy for self-defense. Jiu-Jitsu is about survival, and so is submission-only Jiu-Jitsu tournaments. So I guess we'll see you at U.S. Grappling's submission-only tournament in Raleigh on July 29th. Can't wait to see you there. I'll be there. You should too. So as I mentioned, uh, Josh Murdoch was promoted to black belt earlier this year, and I was pretty interested in he- in, in what Josh, you know, Josh is, apart from being you know, one of the most positive dudes on the local scene, a really thoughtful and introspective guy. And so I'm always interested in hearing those people's perspectives on competition. And so even though Josh has done a ton of, uh, he's won a ton of medals, he's competed in MMA successfully. And I was very, but Josh is very open about his competition nerves. And so I wondered if that had changed between brown belt and black belt. And I asked him about it and we had a brief five minute talk before he competed. And I'm very interested, especially in those of you who compete or are on the fence about competing. I think Josh Murdoch has some very important things to say to you. And I'm, I'm going to bring them to you right now. So let's dive right into the interview. You're you're on the eve. You're just a couple hours away from your first competition uh, at the IBJJF black belt level. You must be really excited. I'm super, super, super excited. I'm like equally excited as I am uh, scared. And it's like it's kind of something that it, it just really solidifies the whole I don't know jiu-jitsu experience for me to finally get to like test out that open-ended bracket like no level caps 
Yeah, I mean, everyone's uh, a one bad dude. Yeah, it's really scary. <laughs> Well, you have a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of big names in your bracket, including Gilson Nunes, who's uh, outstanding, um, and you get to buy the first round, so um, you do get to watch some of your opponents. Do you think, you, do you think you're gonna watch your opponents during that first round of matches, or would you rather not know what they're up to? Uh, I might, just because uh, it's kind of motivation for me, because he is at the other end of the bracket. So I know that if I get to roll against Gilson, that it's going to be in the finals. You know what I mean? So I have a lot of motivation to just, like, I got to go roll with Gilson. You know what I mean? I got to get that chance to roll with Gilson or to, to roll with Fredson, who's, always on the, who's also on the other end of the bracket. And that guy's um, a bad dude in his own right. How are you feeling physically? Uh, I mean, physically, I feel I feel fine. Like, this was, like, a uh, super light week. I didn't train that much, so I'm, like, Raring to do some shit too, which is always a good thing. Uh, it's like I feel like a little stiff, but I think that pretty much happens anytime I take any more than like a day off. I start getting stiff, but it's like it's like when uh when a gymnast says that they're stiff, you're like you're still doing splits, but you feel stiff, of course. Like like you can go get out of here with your stiffness, like geez. So last year at the New York Open, you did very well at the brown belt level, ended up making it on the podium, got a bronze medal. Do you feel any different competing at black belt, or is the lead-up to this sort of a similar process? Uh, are you more nervous? Are you less nervous? Is it about the same? I'm definitely more nervous because uh, I haven't rolled against black belts in competition yet, so I'm, I'm excited for everyone to have their governors off and get a chance to roll with them. And... Uh, but I was talking about it with some other people, and it's just like, this, this, this is what we've been doing forever. We've been planning on this forever. Like, I don't know, it was, it was with karate then, but when I was a kindergartner, you know what I mean? Wanted to be a black belt and be with black belts in whatever competition it was, whether it was like the point sparring or katas. Now it's just jujitsu, and it's just more important. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Most definitely. So uh, you're also up there with Lourdes, who is also competing. And one of the things that I always notice when I compete at these IBJJFs is it's tough because you want to coach your teammates and your friends, but you also want to focus on your own matches. So is there what's the time overlap look like? Are you going to be able to watch? Uh, you know, Adam Jetton from North Carolina is also competing. Uh, are, do you know if you'll be able to watch slash coach other matches, or are you just thinking about the competition right now? Uh, I really hope so that I'll be able to watch and not just like do my own thing like last time that we were up here i ended up missing her stuff and it, it just it kind of bums me out but it's kind of just like the nature of the beast you know what i mean it really is you know obviously we wish you the best of luck and we want to talk to you uh, uh, maybe after to figure out how it all went but i also want to mention a, a significant event happened this week an old training partner of yours dan sandlin was promoted to black belt and i understand you came up training with dan with jerry moreno is that right Yes, sir. Jerry gave me everything up until brown belt. He gave me my brown belt, and then uh, then eventually I ended up at uh, Jeremy Arell's school. But Jerry Marino is my student father, and like I've I've trained with Dan Lynn a bunch, and uh, Dan Dan's an animal. It's it's awesome that uh, that he's a black belt now. So it's it's really awesome for the whole like peer group kind of to be up here now. Do you have any fond memories of training with Dan or uh, any 
uh, not so fond memories of training with Dan? I remember one particular no-view session when we were training at uh, Five Rings MMA, and I was getting ready for my MMA fight against Chris Connor, and we were training Nogi, and he must have taken me down about 100 times in my five-minute round. It was absolutely ridiculous. And it's like, that that was the, the storm of pain. It, it's like, if it's his day, it's going to be his day all day. And then if it's my day, hopefully I can pull something off. <laughs> So, uh, do you have any message of congratulations to Dan? Uh, yeah, congratulations, Dan. You work super, super hard. I know uh, you're helping Jerry out a lot right now. So, uh, I really appreciate you taking care of my home. All right? Uh, like, I love you, buddy. All right, Josh. We'll, we'll, we'll let you get back to competition prep. But any final thoughts before we send you off to go uh, choke folks at the New York Open? Uh, if there's anybody that's ever afraid to compete, well, so am I. Just sign up, and eventually the day is going to come, and then you just go do it. And then you can just be scared the whole time. It doesn't really matter. As always, great thoughts from Josh, man. Hey, best of luck. Right, thank you very much, Jeff. Good to talk to you. So I always love getting to talk to competitors before they have the experience of competing, and I always love to be able to follow up with them after they have the experience of competing, particularly when it's a significant landmark event like a first black belt tournament. And I'm joined on the phone now by Josh Murdoch after his bronze medal performance at the New York Open yesterday. Congratulations, Josh, and welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going, Jeff? Uh, thanks, man. Yeah. I mean, you so might- good to be on the show. Well, it's always great to have you. And you know, we just listened to your your the interview we did before the show when you were very candid about like, hey, I'm very excited and I'm also a little bit scared here. And uh, how did the tournament play out? Did it did it play out the way you planned? Uh, I mean, it planned out better than kind of. Well, I didn't really have a plan. My plan was to just go compete and see what happens. So, of course, it ended up being better because I won one match and I ended up actually getting an omoplata, which made me very happy because I worked really, really hard at on, on like on just that whole series of events from there. And then I ended up losing my next match and it's like that guy was just really good at jiu-jitsu. You know what I mean? So I can't even be mad at that. Yes. And then I ended up uh, losing my absolute match and there was a good news, bad news situation with that. The bad news is that I lost, but the good news is that I would, they only gave me a five-minute match, so I got my money back for the whole competition, which is pretty sweet. And I got like video evidence of the IBJJF messing up, which is always cool. Wait, the IBJJF gave you your money back? This may be the first time oh. this has ever happened. Uh, Bagels told me a story about him or his friend getting their money back for a similar situation so i was like yeah i need to go i need to get on this <laughs> well we could we could talk about that and, and i mean i i know that must be bittersweet because like i'm sure you would have liked the additional five minutes to work in your absolute match but it's always nice to get a little a few extra shekels in your pocket as john danaher would say but uh let's let's talk through the matches so you get to buy the first round end up having a match in the second round that finishes by omoplata a series that you're known for a series you work super hard on can you talk us through that omoplata that match and then culminating in the omoplata finish in your first match uh well he tried to grab my leg when I was pulling guard initially, and we've worked really hard on just not letting that, just recognizing that that's going to be two for them. So let's stand up, restart, get the like 
we didn't get what we wanted, so disengage, restart the whole thing, and let's try to get what we want. And then, uh, so my second guard pull, I ended up, like, cocky shirting the guy's gi. And I think that that really worked in my favor because we restarted. And when we restarted, it was like he was just that little bit calmer for me. And so then when I went to go pull guard again and start getting in my clothes guard, he was like, I actually got what I wanted. So I got got my grip started, and uh, I really like uh, swimming underneath the arm. Like uh, I think Eddie Bravo calls it the Night of the Living Dead to try to get that, that arm to the floor because you kind of look like a zombie taking through the dirt or whatever. And that kind of starts the whole Omoplata series. I got one sweep. I got to, I got to mount, and then I was just like really trying to hold him in mount and choke him. And I was like very content with it just being the whole match being in mount because I'm in mount. You know what I mean? Like you can't, like you can't stall from there. Is what they say. So I'll just deal with that. And uh, eventually he got back to my guard, and I just went right back to the the same thing. Just like I think I tweaked my grips just like a little bit. And uh, while I was in the omoplata position, Gilson Nunes just did a seminar like two, maybe even three weeks ago on uh, ways to set up your grips to break them down and like talking about straightening your legs and all this stuff. And he happened to be right there. And so I'm doing what he just taught me, and I look over at him, and he's, like, helping me out, making me, like, remember all the little details to it. And I I really think that that helped me just, like, be confident there and stick to my guns and eventually get the submission. Well, that's very exciting. And one of the interesting things about it is Gilson was in your division. He ends up winning your division with a gold medal. So it's sort of ironic and one of the cool things about jiu-jitsu in that that you can learn from this fantastic practitioner, then be in his division and use the things that he taught you against against another guy in that division. Gotta love jiu-jitsu for that. (laughs) Indeed. So are you you happy with your performance overall? Yeah, like, I got a nice, like, ding and yang of competition, you know what I mean? I got to to submit somebody, and then I got to get overwhelmed and smashed. So it's like, it's like I already got two of the, the feelings that I was looking that just, like, they're going to happen eventually. I already got them out of the way, you know what I mean? So it's just, I just feel like once you experience something, it's, it's easier to get back to it or something like that. I don't know. Well, we talked before. <laughs> well, we talked before the tournament about how you know there's something different about competing at the adult black belt level because you know the governors are off. Everybody's going to try. You know, everybody's a beast. Everybody's going to try as hard as they can. Do you think that it's going to be easier the next time, or do you you know? And now that you know that you can win matches at the highest level, uh, that and that is definitely going to make it easier because I don't I don't have to go home feeling like maybe I don't belong there or blah, 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 or any of that. You know what I mean? I just, I know everyone's going to be good at jiu-jitsu, so it's like losing isn't bad anymore. It's like all of a sudden it can't be bad. I can't lose to someone who's bad at jiu-jitsu because they acquired a black belt. Like, it's not, it, it wasn't easy for me. I hope it wasn't easy for them. You know what I mean? That's a tremendous attitude, which is something we've come to expect for you. Well, Josh, congratulations so much on your first IBJJF medal at the adult black belt level. We're sure we're sure it won't be your last. Any kind, any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? 
Uh, I'd just really like to thank my brother, CJ Murdoch, for always being there for everything everything that I needed to do. Like, he's just always there for me, Jeremy Arell, for everything. Everybody uh, at Great Grappling for being my teammates and always pushing me to do better and making it so that <laughs> every week is extremely hard. And, uh... Uh, Forte Legato for being an awesome sponsor and an awesome uh, group of people. Uh, ABBS Cleaning Solutions for also being an awesome sponsor and having an awesome kid in the kids' class. Uh, Tour BJJ for pretty much being there forever for me and my brother and any other local competitor that has ever really needed them and anyone else who's ever helped me. Like, you can't, can't do this stuff alone. Well, we're grateful. Well, radio for blasting every everybody that does jitsu pretty much. Well, we're grateful. Awesome. We're grateful. Oh, thank you, Josh, for those kind words, and we're grateful to have you in your community. Enjoy the rest of your time in New York. Travel safe, and we will see you again soon. Thank you, man. Everybody love everybody. I want to talk to you guys about Cageside Fight Company for a second. I've been buying from Cageside for more than six years, and about 99% of the gear that I use is from Cageside. That's not because other companies don't make good stuff. They do. It's just that Cageside offers the highest quality products at the best value and, no joke, the best customer service I've ever experienced in my life. So whether you're looking for shin pads, whether you're looking for Thai gear, whether you're looking for Brazilian jiu-jitsu geese or Valetudo shorts, whether you're looking for the coolest t-shirts around, check out Cageside.com or come into their fight shop at one two four Lotter Road right in Durham, North Carolina. You won't be sorry. Another thing I want to mention about Cage Side is they do more to support local fighters and local Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu competitors than just about anybody else. And so we've got to support the people that support us. Check out Cage Side Fight Company, 124 Lotter Road in Durham, North Carolina, or online at cageside.com. So Josh Murdoch, it's no surprise that Josh is successful because someone with an attitude like that and someone so hardworking, uh, you know, you just know that success is going to follow. So congratulations to Josh and continued success in the future. It's actually a happy coincidence that we have our featured interview, one of Josh's earliest training partners. Daniel Sandlin is one of the most dedicated martial artists around, and in all aspects of the martial arts. You'll hear him talk about that during the interview. You you may have seen Dan refing at U.S. Grappling. I'm sure you've seen him competing in sport jiu-jitsu in the gi and no gi. He's going to talk to us about how his time in the Marine Corps has prepared him for jiu-jitsu, about what getting the black belt means to him, which is a really long and thoughtful answer on his part that um, that that I'm, I'm I'm grateful to him for sharing with us, and he also shares with us his plans for his first black belt competition. We also talk about uh, numerous activities in jujitsu, his favorite rule sets, and something that I'm excited for you to hear: learn the toughest people that he's rolled with, gi or no gi, and which is a murderer's row of local and national folks. So I'm grateful to Daniel Sandlin for taking the time, and here is our featured interview. Our featured interview today is brought to you by Toro Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Company. Toro BJJ produces the highest quality gis, rash guards, and grappling supplies for every Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner. You can check them out online at torobjj.com. Our thanks to Toro Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for making our featured interview possible. So let's get to it. My name is Daniel Sandlin. I joined the Marine Corps back in 2004. I was, uh, prior to joining the Marine Corps, I wrestled. And so uh, I, was, I always took a peak interest in the martial arts. But coming up with a family of five siblings, my folks couldn't really afford to put us in martial arts. So I spent most of the time doing watching blood sport and stuff like that and uh, fighting with my older brother. And so once I joined the Marine Corps, uh, 
couple deployments and uh, I, there wasn't really much time, but eventually I got to a spot in the Marine Corps where uh, they sent me to a school that pushed martial arts pretty heavily. And I met a couple guys. Uh, I met George Lockhart, which I'd met previously, but uh, he knew that I had a huge interest in it. And I had already previously took a MMA fight just from a whim of, Hey, I thought I was a tough guy and him and Stan, Brian Stan and those guys pushed pretty heavy. Like, Hey, if you're going to try to be serious at pursuing MMA or martial arts, you really need to start training jujitsu. And so they had trained with a little known black belt way out in New Bern named Jerry Marino. And so them knowing I was in Jacksonville, they uh, told me, Hey, if you're going to be serious about this, where you're at, you, that's where you need to go to train. And you came up training with a bunch of guys who were, who were beasts then and have continued to progress. And so I'm sure you have some good memories of training with the Murdoch brothers, maybe Matt Messer. Like who were some of the training part, the earliest training partners at Jerry Moreno's place that you remember? <laughs> so I can, it's funny. So I can remember, uh, I can remember CJ Murdoch. I can remember Josh Murdoch. I can remember Nick Walters back when he was a purple belt. Uh, I can remember Matt back when he was a uh, blue belt. And so um, myself, uh, I can even remember Heath, who's now a black belt under Hops and Mora. I can remember he was actually the first guy ever I ever rolled with, So, uh, which he has a successful school. I think uh, ECBJJ out there, out past Greenville. But all of those guys were uh, – training partners when I when I first showed up as a lonely know nothing semi wrestler white belt and uh <laughs> what's funny is Jerry had a thing where he would always no matter what their age was he would tell new guys in the room that new guys who showed up training that hey these kids are these these kids are 16 years old and they've only been training with me for a few months and that that was a common thing that Jerry would always tell anyone other than the guys who knew him so I see TJ and Josh come in and, you know, they're both blue belts at the time. And, uh, I mean, those guys were just obviously for obvious reasons, rolling me up just like they were rolling up half the adults in there. And in my head between them and between Heath, who was a blue belt at the time, I'm thinking, how are these guys who at the time I was probably a little bit more of a meathead than I am now. And they were just having their will with me, obviously, because they knew jujitsu and I didn't know anything. And so it, it, it was great. And it, it's what actually that that philosophy alone of a smaller guy being able to just have his will with me and completely ball me up was what intrigued me and attracted me to jujitsu and kind of was a great introductory to it. So when I hear those names, I think hard training. And, you know, you mentioned the technical aspects, which are crucially important to jiu-jitsu, but do you remember particularly hard training sessions back in, the, or back in those days or in any of your other uh, days coming up with Jerry? Uh, I do. So Jerry, Jerry's kind of, uh, he's the same person today that he was back then. And maybe, actually, a little, maybe a little bit more crazier back then than he is now. He's kind of chilled out a little bit. But, but so, I mean, you're talking show up. He would always he would always roll us run us through some super intense uh, warm up of sorts. Then we would always pass and defend the guard two to three rounds of that with no rest, and then technique drill a little bit, and then it was time to roll. And especially coming up through that time, it was just a gauntlet a, a gauntlet of individuals. I mean, even back then, Stevie Linton was there, and he was a brown belt. 
And you had, I mean, you have all the same loyalists that don't aren't really competitors, but have trained with Jerry for 14 and 15 years now. Uh, Dr. Farina. Uh, there's a, a bunch of doctors that train that are all brown belts and black belts now that, you know, still train with Jerry. But, and so you just had a, I mean, there was every single role was, <laughs> was a guy. It was like murder's, murder's row, you know, it was all guys who grown up through Jerry loving jujitsu it being so close to a Marine town, uh, being Cherry Point area, a lot of guys who PCS and now are training West Coast at Octos and a bunch of other gyms, those guys, um, you know, you just had always in there probably 15 to 25 guys that were all either white belt, blue belt, who was also very technically sound. And that's after you've already ran through the gauntlet, warming up and passing and defending. So to, for me, I, I contribute the success I had as a competitor, as a white belt and a blue belt geared towards that because it was just the hardest training sessions I ever faced were in the, in the training room. So competition rolling just one match at five minutes or six minutes as a white belt was uh very, very, it was, I don't know. It was an easy day in comparison to uh, what we did in the training room. That makes perfect sense. And, and talking about competition, you know, I know you're a really active in terms of U.S. grappling, you know, you compete, you ref. And so I'm curious for you as, you know, uh, as someone who you know, joined the Marine Corps in 2004 and had a martial arts focus, like how do you see the interplay of sport jiu-jitsu versus self-defense? Do you think that there's tension there or do you, like, how do you see that relationship? So, so I, I have this conversation a lot with a lot of people and I, I have it with a lot of Marines too. And so I, so I, I'll, I'll take it from a few standpoints. So Marine Corps martial arts, right? Marine Corps martial arts is a combat focused system, but even though it's a combat oriented system where we're expecting guys to be in full kit and Kevlar with their weapon to be able to defend themselves, they still teach a counter to the mount, a counter to the guard, a counter to bear hug, a counter to a choke, a headlock, and various other aspects of just traditional self-defense as much as we talk about like firearm retention and stuff like that. And so me growing up through Marine Corps martial arts program at first, before getting introduced to jujitsu, I, I think it established a good baseline and it, and it truly established a good baseline for any Marine who finds themselves even out of a combat situation who needs to be able to have some basic self-defense skills. I, th I think it is a good baseline with that being said, I don't think, the Marine Corps martial arts is a good translation to sport at whatsoever. And that is a, I mean, I'm a true testament of that. I mean, me being a quote unquote black belt in Marine Corps martial arts, I was getting rolled up by a white belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu who had trained for two to three months. And that's because, you know, there is a technical aspect of sports Jiu Jitsu, especially in the gi that you're not going to learn doing traditional self-defense and that's it and so but you know i mean some of my favorite uh jujitsu jiu practitioners are are huge components of the self-defense aspect if you think like hickson and cron gracie and those guys so and i mean cron is an amazing sport practitioner who believes in the self-defense aspect as well so i do not i'm not i personally am not one of those individuals who don't think the lie the that there's a crossover between the two because a person who I know who's only trained sport jujitsu 
can still defend themselves. Let's let's not let's not get in the aspect of thinking that hey, because this guy is hugely focused on just sports jujitsu, but he does know a double leg. He does know how to stop someone from freaking taking them down. He does know how to reverse positions. He does know how to manipulate joints in ways in which cause a person to freaking be submissive. Is is solely now not able to defend themselves in a physical altercation or a potential situation where they need to be able to. So I, I, I'm a, I'm a, I love both aspects. I truly do. But on the same sense, I have no hate towards an individual who pushes more of a self-defense side or pushes more of a sports side, because I do, I do think there's lines that cross between the two of them. But I would say especially for the military guys, you know, and I can speak really just based off the Marines that for all the self-defense that's pushed in the Marine Corps, a lot of it, a lot of the Marine Corps program does not translate to sport. Let's talk about belt rank for a second, because as a black belt now, I'm curious, do you feel different than you did as a brown belt? Was it a significant life moment for you? And if so, or, or if not, uh, what does the black belt mean to you and what does receiving it mean to you? Oh, that's that's a great question. So promotion alone to black belt means a lot to me. And uh, prior to, I guess it was it was it was a huge surprise. It was a huge planning thing that was going on behind my back that I, that I didn't really know about. And uh, I ended up catching whims of it due to uh, the fact that I was going to be taking my son to a potential uh, wrestling camp in uh, North Carolina State. So. I'll just give you a quick backstory. It's a, uh, I think it will all tie into my answer here. But uh, so I was going to take my son to a wrestling tournament slash uh, camp in Raleigh on Saturday, that Saturday that I got promoted. And all of a sudden I start receiving phone calls and individuals asking me, hey, what are you going to be doing Saturday? A lot of, a lot of just friends that I'm like, man, I'm getting a whole lot of interest in my Saturday. What's going, what's going on here? And then individuals start telling me, well, you got to come to the gym Saturday. Uh, there's a seminar, but we can't tell you who's going to be the seminar. And I, I keep getting a whole lot of just like roundabout. And so I, I eventually I'm like, Hey, check it out. Why is everyone focused on what's going on Saturday? And so Jerry, because he was, uh, thinking I wasn't going to show up on Saturday. It's like, Hey, Hey Dan, um, you know, uh, you, I want you to come to January. I'm going to promote you to black belt. And when I heard that, I, it was a, uh, a huge sea full of emotions. I got to be honest. So I may not give you the, uh, traditional answer. Most people hear, but I think it, uh, kind of will tie into what my belief to the black belt. So I, uh, when I heard that, you know, it was a, uh, a lot of emotions that came over me and honestly fear and nerves was probably the biggest. And, uh, the reason behind that is, um, you know, when I, when I look at the black belt or when I see somebody with a black belt, I, I look at them in a sense of, uh, you know, the amount of work, the amount of hard work and dedication that goes into it, the amount, the amount of knowledge, you know, from all aspects, sport, sport and self-defense. Uh, I look at them as an individual of clarity who any, jiu-jitsu practitioner can see guidance of but uh i also see them as a person who's been on a journey and even though the journey's not ending they just they just re- reached a huge landmark of that journey you know um that person who embarks on their journey as a white belt and eventually receives that black belt it's just like wow that's a that's a huge story to tell 
And so what made me reflect is I start thinking of all the great black belts I've known or trained with. And I mean, you're talking from the super world competitors of being out at uh, Costa Mesa AOJ and thinking of the Mendez brothers, thinking of Marcelo Garcia, thinking of Hoffel Freitas that I trained in Albuquerque with for a, a bit, uh, Cyborg. Then I start thinking of all the black belts I know regionally, and I start thinking of the Billy Dowies. I start thinking of the guys down at Evolution and Jonathan down in Wilmington, Jerry. I start thinking of David Porter, and I start thinking of all these guys, and I'm like, man, A, am I, am I ready to join the ranks of all these great black belts I know? Do, do, I, tr- truly, do I truly have the knowledge base and the – everything that that should be encompassed in a black belt and so that's where the fear set in slash that's where my feelings of emotion and uh i would say the respect for the belt is the the last thing i want to do is is be that individual that you see in those crazy youtube videos that are wearing the black belt and individuals are questioning and thinking why is that person a black belt i mean this that and the other and so that that was as crazy as it sounds, you know, what's supposed to be this huge, joyous moment, that was the first thing that came through my head, and it's truly because of how much respect I have for a jiu-jitsu black belt. And so uh, the other portion of that would be then, you know, I think of the other, other side, I thought of the other side of it, of like, you've trained eight plus years with the same individual, you've had all the same training partners, people have came and go, and you put trust, faith, and loyalty into the fact that your professor has the ability to judge and, uh, and decide promotion criteria and who's ready and who's not. And if you've put that faith in an individual since you not even know what jujitsu is, who are you to question that eight years later? And so it was a huge balancing. It was a huge, this huge ray of mo- emotion and balancing. And I felt like I was like a, a bride on wedding day that was going to like not show up. And, 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 and as I balanced all these emotions, think about how much of a uh, honor it is that your instructor has that much faith in you that he believes you're ready to be promoted to black belt. Who, who are you to be the person to uh, get, I guess, second guess that or think that you have the right to, uh, to, I don't know, I guess you'd call it like, you know better than he does, you know? Like, you're talking about someone who's been training for 20-plus years, and you, the individual, think that you are a better assessment of character and professional skill set and everything else than he is. So I don't know if that answers the question, but I felt like that was an important story to share there. And, you know, I guess, the, hey, it answered how I feel about being a black belt slash what I believe in a black belt. And then what has changed with me, I would say, realistically what has changed i mean other than the color of my belt literally literal change you know i'm still just as hungry i still have just much love for jujitsu i'm still i would still argue with anyone that i i'm i love the sport just as much as anyone else and you know i as a brown belt i was instructing and teaching and and i'm still going to do as a black belt and i'm still just as humble to realize that you know from the white from a white belt to fellow black belts i'm going to seek out knowledge and train and share knowledge. So I wouldn't say, I would hope to say that there wasn't much literal change, at least currently in my aspects, because I, I would like to think that, you know, 
the journey hasn't ended by any means. It's literally still beginning. It's just I get the privilege now of getting to compete against black belts. You must be excited for your first competition at black belt. Do you have plans for that? <laughs> uh, so um, as long as my knee, so I kind of actually, crazy enough, that the day I got promoted, I, I hurt my LCL a little bit rolling with uh, all the guys who showed up. So it's kind of tender, but I'm already slated to rest uh, the submission only that's coming up in Raleigh. So as long as my knee's good, that was my, I was planning on competing as well. You know, I, I never, uh, I never fear competition. I love competition. And I think that it's a great way for all of us to learn. And so, you know, as long as my knee's good, that, that's the plan is to c- compete in Raleigh. U.S. Grappling is our favorite tournament organization for a lot of reasons. Run by grapplers for grapplers, U.S. Grappling consistently provides the best tournament experience for competitors. Whether it's a points tournament or submission only, and U.S. Grappling runs true no-time-limit submission-only events, it's the best place to compete and to watch your friends compete. Check out upcoming events and register online at usgrappling.com. It would be kind of cool to make your first tournament a submission-only tournament, too. And that leads me into another question about, like, competition format. Do you have a favored competition format? Do you, or do you, do you favor submission-only? Do you like the points tournaments? Or do you think there's something to learn in all of those rule sets? Oh, so <laughs> if you would have asked me this question two years ago, I would have told you points format. Uh, and I, I think that was because that's what I was comfortable with. Um, I I have always I've always felt like I've had a lot more success in points only formats and not and that's uh, I wouldn't say it's playing to a rule set as much as I've I've seen to just especially as you get up in competition and I mainly gearing it I would say I'm mainly gearing points only format towards IBJJF and that's because uh as much as the frustration we've all probably felt that frustration of somebody throwing you in 50-50 and then winning by advantage i've always seemed to some for some odd reason had really good success in point tournaments more than submission only and and i blame myself for that and <laughs> because i'm always looking to finish but in submission only especially when you talk about matches potentially going 30, 40 minutes, it becomes a, uh, a mental and physical endurance game. And so uh, two years ago, I would, have, I would have told you, man, I, I honestly, I like the fact that I know the match is going to be eight minutes or six minutes. But now I actually like submission-only format. I think, A, it lets you, it lets individuals not um, feel rushed. And it kind of, that chess, that chess game that happens in jiu-jitsu that you get to see a lot more of it. I know the statistics would probably argue with me, especially when uh, Christy and M throw up those submission-only statistics, and you see a lot of matches really do still finish fast in a submission-only format. Um, I, I think that, uh, I don't know, the submission-only format, especially from all belt levels, I just think it's great. It, it's great to see because it, it really forces everybody to almost go out there on their shield or, or freaking try to die by their sword on other perspectives. They're like, hey, since I know I'm not going to be able to double leg a guy and then try to smother him for four minutes, you know, it forces individuals to actually push push the pace and look for the finish. So I would say my it, currently, um, I really 
from a fan's perspective, spectator perspective, I love submission only. I love watching it. I love that rule set. And then uh, from a competitor, I, I like it as well because it just it makes it more exciting in my opinion. Do you have a favorite match that you have competed in, submission only or otherwise? Oh, man. Man, that's a hard question. Um, I, I'll tell you, um, as crazy as it sounds, so I've, I would say uh, favorite match that I've had was probably as a – it was the first time that me and Anthony Elbert, somehow, somehow we hadn't ended up competing against each other before but i'd seen him before competing and i'd always seen uh him either flying triangling or triangling a lot of individuals and so when i think about especially in recent times a a match that i enjoyed i actually think about him and it's and it's only because seeing him and watching him i have i have much respect for his game and so what's weird is uh you know you lo- you learn a lot more in uh defeat than you do victory and so Knowing, knowing his grips and his pressure, it really made me focus on a lot of deficiencies in my own game and being able to deal with a guy as limber and as flexible and has such good spider guard and grip. So when I think of, especially, I mean, I had a lot of good U.S. grappling matches that I've had fun with and individuals, but anytime I look at anyone that I've had a chance to compete against and they've exposed something, a deficiency in mine, that those are always the first thing that come in mind more than any sort of match where I've won or I've got a submission really quickly because you, you, it, it forces you to learn, learn so much more and go back to the lab and work on so much more things when you find yourself getting frustrated in a position or, uh, you know, losing in competition. So a related question, but not just related to competition, who is the toughest person you think you've rolled against? <laughs> oh, uh, I, I had a chance to roll against, uh, when I was at Costa Mesa AOJ, and I mean, I rolled with Haas Mendez for like three or four rounds during a competition class, and I mean, to to me, that's almost like a a oh well, duh answer. So I'm I'm going to obviously to all the world champion black belts that I've rolled against that have just completely made me feel like I've never trained jujitsu before. That would be an easy answer. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take them off the table, just because that that's a given. So I would I would answer it two ways in in the gi and out of the gi. So in the gi, currently, I would say one of the most difficult in, uh, or one of the most difficult individuals that I, I've rolled with would be uh, Jonathan at Alliance Wilmington. And I know he doesn't compete a lot at the U.S. Grapplings. He only does a lot of the IBJJF events. But uh, I, I'll tell you what, he, uh, I don't know, his, his, his body type and his, the way he plays roles in the gi has always given me fits. And, I mean, it's not but much respect to him. I mean, he's, he's an amazing position in the gi. And so I would say in the gi, he, for whatever reason, I mean, it's just amazing. And, and it's by far the hardest gi role. That, especially, I mean, and I want to say he's a, a lighter than me as well. And, I mean, he, his pressure feels like, you know, he's one of those guys that he, once he gets his grips on you and gets his pressure on you, it just feels like, you're pasted it into a mat and can't move. No, no gi wise, I would say um, most difficult would be Joe Selecki. I know that he's he's went the MMA route, and uh, but I, I know that every time I've had the pleasure of rolling with him, 
I've I always have felt like my no gi game, for some odd reason, has been better than my gi, and and that's and that's just because I don't I think back in the day it was a comfortability thing, especially when I had these grander schemes of doing MMA. Sometimes I didn't focus on the gi, and I was I was no gi. So usually when I travel to any gym, and I know I'm going to be rolling no gi, even I, as silly as it sounds, back in the day, even to the day, I always feel like a like okay, if it, it, no gi, it's like a almost like a all right, I, I, I should have success no matter who, who my training partner is. And I, and I think that's just a silly line of thinking, and it just maybe resorts all the way back subconsciously to, for a wrestling aspect. But uh, I would say, you know, those two are the, are the two that come in mind as the gi hardest role, the no gi hardest role. And that's nothing to any of the training partners I have. So against, you know, because I have a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of guys, you know, like, you know, you're going to get everything possible when you're rolling with Matt every single day, you know, like he, he's, he's the toughest, he's the toughest guy I know in regards to like, there's no quitting that guy, you know? So it's like, no, not, I was kind of trying to just think not inside the training room, outside the training room, but not big picture world champion. Hey, guess what? Marcelo Garcia, because to me, that's a given. Yeah, that's a great set of answers, and I don't think anybody would argue with any of those names on that list, including Matt Messer, in terms of toughness. So is there anything that I haven't asked about that you really wish I would have asked about, or anything that you think that it's really important folks know about you, about Jerry Moreno, about your gym, any of that sort of thing? Yeah, there's a few things. I just think sometimes uh, people don't take into consideration. So I, I would tell you that uh, anyone who's training coming up, I, I think a so for, for myself, right, uh, not, not to make excuses, but I, I just know there's other people out there that are probably feel the same way that I feel. And so I just think it's, it might be good for somebody actually to uh, put it out there. So I, I would tell, like in my case, right, so I, I'm a full-time Marine. I also do college through Bellevue University. I take, I take one class at a time. I was taking two at one point in time. You know, a father, right, I freaking have a son who's active in wrestling and uh, that he's all my focus. I mean, he's eight years old, but he's a huge, he's a huge, uh, he's ending his second season in wrestling. And so I travel a lot to get him to tournaments and camps. And so when, when we can be our worst critic is, I guess what I'm trying to get to here is the fact that when, when I look at jujitsu and I look at, uh, you know, I would, I'll, I'll even keep it locally in the U S grappling referees. You know, I look at Deandre, who's an amazing competitor. I look at Anthony, who's an amazing competitor, CJ, Josh, bagels all these guys are amazing competitors and they're all i mean they're all focused on jujitsu you know they all some of them are college students some of them have other jobs but you know david porter these guys are just full-time in the love of jujitsu spread the art of jujitsu and always are out there trying to compete and and put themselves on the top of the podium at the biggest tournament and i think when you look at guys like that or when you look at the hoff mendez and you look at these individuals we we all sometimes look and go well i I, i'm not as good as that guy or i'm never going to be as good as those guys like i mean am i ever going to be as good as this guy and sometimes that makes us i would say hesitant about uh promotion i would say that makes us hesitant about the belt we're wearing and i almost put it in the perspective of a kid who's in his driveway who's playing basketball who's practicing basketball who has grander schemes of being in the nba someday and uh or the kid who's talking football some bit in his backyard and wants to be Tom Brady and he loves the sport. I, I, I think it's always good to have aspirations of someone that you want to model your game at and individuals that you want to be as successful as. 
But I think in the grand scheme of life, I think sometimes we got to look at the, not look at the small picture and look at the bigger picture and, and commend those who are pursuing the dream, that dream that, you know, a lot of people just because of life circumstances aren't going to be able to, but I don't think they should devalue their own skill set based off of, I would call it benchmarks or trophy marks of under other individuals, right? There's a, there's a lot of individuals who toss a football who are never going to be Tom Brady. There's a lot of people who shoot baskets who are never going to be Michael Jordan. And I think the same can be said in jiu-jitsu. There's guys who are training two to three days a week at maximal because that's what their life allows them to do. And they love the sport and they're training as hard as they can just because they're not going to ever have the success of standing on a podium at the world as a black belt and, you know, holding up that, holding up that gold, melt, gold medal and freaking whatever weight class, that shouldn't, that shouldn't ever make them second guess or devalue their love for the sport or what they are wanting to achieve, if, if that makes sense. And the reason I put that out there is because I know, especially traveling and, and training with a lot of dudes in the military, you know, a lot, a lot, of, a lot of individuals and even, even other people, guys that I know in other gyms and stuff like that who train and, they only they never compete, but they train in they train in the training room, and you know they always second guess uh, who they are or what their jujitsu is. And so, I just I feel like a lot of time that goes without being said. And not not saying that the jujitsu community is judgmental. I think especially the Eastern North Carolina jujitsu community is great, and we all have nothing but love for everybody who does. But I, I do I, I'm not so naive to not think that you know it was just years ago on the internet that. You know, when the uh, C.J. Murdochs and individuals got promoted, there were people who were, like, bashing him on the Internet. And then he kind of went out there and on his own accord and just continued to focus on his love for jiu-jitsu. And then, I mean, he's one of the – I mean, he's still one of the greatest guys I know. And, I mean, he still is unfearful. of He'll compete against anyone. He'll train with anyone. And he just loves the sport and it isn't an ego thing. So, I just – it's one of those things I don't know. I just felt like throwing out there because I think sometimes a lot of us lose perspective of why we all started jujitsu. And at the end of the day, you know, what, what, what the essence of the uh, art is about. So that's Daniel Sandlin with some thoughts about the nature of jujitsu, about why we all train it and how we can all get back to our roots. I thought that that was a really, really introspective and wise series of thoughts from Dan, who is now a black belt under Jerry Marino. So congrats to him. And I'm grateful to him for the time. So that's our show for the day. Uh, well, I want to congratulate everybody who did well at the New York Open, everybody who competed at the New York Open. Getting out there and testing yourself is difficult, but it is also really important in terms of pro- progressing in jiu-jitsu. I'd like to thank Daniel Sandlin for sitting down with me. Uh, I mentioned to him off the air that next time he's in town in the Triangle, I'd love to get him into the into the studio for a full one-hour conversation. And I'm sure that uh, having listened to that interview, I'm sure you guys would be interested on more of Dan's thoughts about sport, jiu-jitsu, self-defense, the Marine Corps, uh, training, teaching, politics, all that. That, uh, it, po- the politics of jiu-jitsu and uh, all of that stuff as well. And so hopefully we can make that happen. Uh, Dirty White Belt Radio comes to you from Hillsborough's WHUP-FM. It is co-hosted by Betsy O'Donovan and Lourdes Cantu, silver medalist at the New York Open and a birthday woman. So congratulations to Lourdes. Um, I'm grateful to everybody who supports us through Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash Dirty White Belt. This week, that is cr- or th- th- if you contribute 
Anyone who contributes more than a dollar gets various rewards, and if you contribute at a certain level, you get shouts out at the end of the podcast. So this month, that's Betty Broadhurst, Chris Thomas, Carl Krebs, and Cody Malte. You can join them at dirtywhitebelt.com slash Patreon if you want to support the show. We have a lot of stuff planned over the next few months. Uh, our 100th show is going to be in the middle of August, and we're making plans. I think I've booked a, a really tremendous guest that is a legend of jiu-jitsu for that 100th show. We're always looking for your ideas. So please let us know, cagesidewhoop at whup or, or cagesidewhoop at gmail.com if you have other ideas about who we could get on the show. Um, tell us who you want to hear. Get at us on Instagram at Dirty White Belt, on Twitter at DWB Radio, and on our Facebook page at Cageside Radio. So thanks to everybody who helps with the show. Thanks to everybody who listens. And um, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to continue to talk about the jiu-jitsu that exists here in North Carolina and beyond. My name is Jeff Shaw. We will be back at you next Sunday at 10 a.m. here on WHUP, and we will see you then.